Ladies and gentlemen, it is Josh and Tom Devour the World. I am one of your hosts, Josh Battenhorst. And I am Tom Chalmers, the other host by default. And uh, <laughs> you're two guys used to going out into the world, taking in music and food and drink and all the things that are found here in Asheville. And since we are not able to do that as much anymore, we decided we would talk to each other once a week and ask each other what we are eating, drinking, thinking, and how that is affecting our creative process. And also like in the 80s and 90s, when a person turned uh, to their 40s and 50s, they would uh, they would go buy a Trans Am. And in, the, in these modern times, you start a podcast. That's just what Indeed. you do. It's a, it's a middle-aged white guy starts a podcast, and here we are. Our podcast has racing stripes. <laughs> and with us today, uh, no less white than we are. Nate Barton is here. Hello, Nate. Hello. Uh, Nate is a local artist and art teacher. He teaches at IC Imagine Charter School. Um, he also teaches with the A-plus Schools Program, which is a program of the North Carolina Department of Cultural Resources and the North Carolina Arts Council. And uh, all around swell guy. He has a gallery opening here in the midst of this crazy COVID time. He is actually opening an actual show in an actual gallery, but you can also view it virtually. It is going to be at the Black Mountain Center for the Arts, and it, he has a Zoom opening on Friday from 4.30 to 5.30. You can find out more about that on the BMCA website, and we'll talk about all of that. Welcome to Josh and Tom Devour the World, Nate. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, so uh, we always like to get started by talking about what we've been devouring under under the subheadings of eating, drinking, and thinking, because they kind of rhyme. Uh, so if, if you've got one of those, what have you been devouring, Nate? And tell us. So, uh, as I thought about this, I, I don't know if this works, but this really was where my head went. Uh, the month of January, I have just had this like creative explosion. And so like my well of like energy towards making has just been overflowing. And I feel like I've just been devouring that energy. Uh, I've made uh, across this month, I, I think it ends up being about 30 pieces. Wow. Um, from like larger paintings to smaller pieces to um, through some pottery on the wheel. I made a batch of earrings. I mean, I'm just like cranking it out. Um, and, and so I feel like- the creative well is the title of your uh, yeah. your exhibition as well right uh, yeah and that's yeah that's where the title came from was I, i've just really like i think there was some months during the pandemic when i i wasn't really producing much uh um and it was just i, I didn't feel it i wasn't feeling it and then uh new year came and i was like ready to go um, yeah so. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is how the things that we consume affect and affect the things that we create. But I think sometimes the opposite is true as well. Do you find yourself working long hours in the studio and that kind of dictating what you put in your face by any chance? Because I, <laughs> I know that that's what happens with me here at, uh, at our studios here. Um, at Bright Star, and uh, it's just kind of like you know, I have a, a small stash of uh, lunch-like things that if I don't expand to be expect to be here all evening, and yet find myself here, those are the things that I go to. Uh, do you have any go-to snacks or or sustenance in the studio there? Uh, I would say 
Dr. Pepper is my, uh, <laughs> um, like I try not to drink too much soda. I've heard all the research talks about how bad it is. And uh, yeah, I'll drink some Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> what do they know? That's a Are they a doctor? <laughs> he is. Uh, yeah, no, Dr. Pepper's good. So I, I'm curious about that as well. But so you get to January and you find it to be a very productive month. Do you feel that is because you have the deadline of an exhibit opening? Uh, I'm someone who very much responds to a deadline. Um, or is it first of the year? I love random calendar decisions uh, urging me to be better. Um, wonder if either of those had anything to do with it. No, that's funny. Um, I didn't get the gallery show until the middle of January, until a week or two in. Um, I think part of it is Black Mountain. I think because people don't feel like they can actually uh, have their art in a space where people are able to come and see it, I think maybe some people have dropped out. So that kind of jumped in on me. And uh, fortunately, I was, you know, I was already kind of in the zone and making all this work. Um, I do think the new year... I think it was that like rush that everybody felt, which doesn't seem to be bearing fruit yet of like, get rid of 2020, 2021, we're gonna see the light. It's gonna be golden. Uh, and so I think that, I think that was a big part of it for me was just that like, all right, let's go. Uh, Did any of that spirit or that um, ethos make its way into any of the work that you produced in this month? Like that idea of putting the past behind you or was it mere, merely, or is it more of just like, you know what, let's truly put it behind us and look to the future? Or, uh, I, I think um, I think it did to a certain extent. I, uh, a lot of my work is um, based in landscapes. Um, and I speak in my, my artist statement about, uh, I, I wanna make things that are beautiful, um, which a lot of artists I think shy away from. Um, but I, I think that's kind of my, my hope is that maybe my work might be kind of, uh, an opportunity for relief for people. Um, you know, just if they, maybe they can't make a trip to the mountains, um, they can see an image that represents that beauty, uh, in a different way. So, yeah. Nice. They can put that's them nice. wherever yeah. they are. I had a question about your, your choice of work, um, which I was uh, impressed by. Yeah. You do landscapes against lots of mountains and valleys. And I was wondering if there's something particularly inspiring about that? Or is it also the idea that really you can do so by just doing a series of intersectional diagonal lines? Um, <laughs> um, I just think like they're beautifully, but they are just sort of like achievable. I was gonna, well, it's funny because I teach a watercolor class for all levels. And one the generally when I do it, I like to start with a mountain landscape because um, I can help people see that it is entirely achievable uh, no matter what you bring into the table. Um, so yeah, that, that's funny that, that you saw that. Um, and then I also feel like I, I grew up uh, in the Florida Keys. Uh, my family from way back as connected to the, the Keys. Um, in fact, my grandmother who lives next door to me uh, she grew up on Key West. And, and she invented key lime pie, right? I mean, this is... <laughs> well, uh, my mother gets very angry if we're at a restaurant and they bring key lime pie and it has a, um, a green lime on it because key limes are, in fact, yellow. Ah. Uh, so my mother's always like quick to point out, like, this is not a key lime. Um, but but I, I tell people all the time that um, 
I, the mountains enchanted me like the first from the first time I came and uh, I've lived here now for 20 years, but I always tell people like I traded the, the ocean for the mountains and I've never looked back because um, there's something about, you know, just being able to like drive around a corner and just see this like awe-inspiring view. Uh, so That's much nicer. So yeah, I think it's better that you went with creative well for the title rather than intersectional diagonal lines. <laughs> you can't do it. Um, well, if I can jump off on like, eating and the start of the year. Um, so yeah, the you know, start of the year comes with a commitment to health and otherwise, uh, you know, some trying to back doing a daily vitamin routine. Uh, part of it was helped by uh, Blue Cross does send out this kind of like $400 gift card for you to spend on, you know, healthy things, um, which I thought was going to last well into you know the new year. One trip to CVS. Um, vitamins are expensive. And, and you get like the good foot lotion and that kind of stuff. Next thing you know, like how do we spend more than $400? But anyways, decided to get vitamins. And then I was just thinking about it. That it's like, so I got them in gummy form because that is sort of the trend these days. Uh, and I admit uh, uh, growing up, uh, epilepsy, I had to take uh, Dilantin every day, pill form. I would, I would choke on it. I was terrible with taking pills. So I, I know that pill swallowing can be difficult. And then also pills can be hard to digest on your stomach sometimes as this. But still, they seem like, oh, yay, gummies. And then I was thinking like, what are you doing? Why, why have you, again, made everything this like childlike pursuit? Uh, one, <laughs> the main ingredients are like corn syrup and sugar. Like you're taking things to make you healthier, wrapped in corn syrup and sugar. And also you're supposed to take two of them a day. So you get much fewer in a bottle than you do if you just got the pills. Like I had, you know, some that I bought previously and I was like, oh my God, these have lasted through two portions of the gummies because they just go so quickly. So yeah, I just don't, I feel like I talk about this a lot. Like, why do we have to make things seem like other things in order to take them? These are essential nutrients for your body that will uh -huh. fight off potential threatening harm that <laughs> hovers right outside your door. Why do you <laughs> make it into like a sugary breakfast cereal? <laughs> um, although, although but it does make me take them. So I guess it does. There's some, <laughs> there's some catch there. Well, yeah, I mean, Flint, do they even make like the Flintstone chewables anymore? Is that like sure. where it's like a candy sort of thing? Or is that, uh, you know, I, but that used to be just the youth market. It's across the board now. Right. Yeah. We never grew up. We never we like when when uh, Jeffrey, the Toys R Us guy, uh, giraffe said I sang the I don't want to go up song. We all took that to heart and we're like, you know, we're just not going to. As a matter of fact, as a society, we're just going to keep. Uh, holding on to our gummy bears as long as possible. Yeah. I think so, and obviously there's sort of the ha ha tee hee hee gummies kind of tie in kind of thing. So it makes you feel a little bit like, yeah, hoo hoo. Well, um, I'm, su I'm surprised that the horse lover in your life also didn't just go, you know, that that gummy stuff is horse hooves, right? Because I know that the vegan in my life would would, would make that would make that connection. <laughs> uh, yeah, luckily that, that, that doesn't get explored too much. So I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know if either of you are on a vitamin uh, regimen and uh, are you adult enough to take them as pills as they were intended or do they need to be in like funny animal shapes and drenched in syrup? Nate, go ahead. 
<laughs> are you on vitamins? <laughs> I, I was going to say just uh, before that, uh, I think we can also hold Mary Poppins responsible for the spoonful of sugar. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There you go. Um, um, I, I don't, I don't do vitamins. I think, um, I, uh, am skeptical of the reality of needing those things. Um, I'm not saying anything. Oh, really, Dr. Pepper? And your choices. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've always kind of looked like, uh, I don't know. like, And I think I've heard stories, too, about people that take vitamins and then they have, like, way more of this thing that they uh, – so, I, yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> so I, I do have a very limited vitamin regimen of, um, like, I take a, a D, a K, and a C. Uh, and, uh, but when you said something about the gummies, it made me think of THC gummies, which I think like if somebody were to combine that along with your everyday vitamin, you know, if it was like a THC gummy with vitamins, a B, uh, you know, the whole, it's like a, it's like the alphabet plus THC. Right. Well, and THC and in your case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's probably a, a room for that. I also have, I'm better. Here's what I'm, I'm better at taking vitamins when I'm on medication. And like this summer, I was really good about taking the vitamins because I was on, um, I had surgery on my knee. And I had, uh, I was on like a regular medication for like a couple of months. Like, I mean, it was pretty intense. Um, and then recently I had to go back to the doctor with something with my eye and they put me on an oral antibiotic. So now I guess the last week or so while I've been doing that, I've been hitting, but I forget, you know, it's like, I don't know why there's, there's like a couple of different types of, of, of habits that I have a hard time with. Um, good ones <laughs> if they fall under that if they're good for you but also like the intermittent habit that is the really hard one for me like the dog's worm medicine or something like that the thing that you have to remember not to do every day but you have to remember to do like once a month like i'm terrible about those and and the same thing with vitamins like i don't have a good ritual or routine like for my morning especially like in covid because sometimes i'm working at the house sometimes i'm working at the office sometimes you know um well it's either one of those two things and uh <laughs> but but it but i don't have a, a good routine going for for vitamins i have however the, over the last month um and this kind of moves me into what what i've been doing and, and I'm going to, this is going to fall under the realm of thinking, although it should fall under the realm of not thinking is I've been doing a 30 day meditation challenge. Um, so, um, so that if, and, and that I've been pretty good at, cause I do it the first 20 minutes of the day. Like as soon as I get up, I set the little timer on my phone for 20 minutes and I go and I sit and I try to bore myself and um, the type of meditation, I'm not doing anything particular, like when the, any, you know, sutras or any, you know, uh, any mantras, it's more of just kind of like, I'm trying to free my mind. And so I just notice the thought that comes into my mind. And I notice that I'm having that thought. And then I go, okay, there was that thought. And I try to kind of let it go and make space for the rest of the thought. So I, there's a lot of thinking that happens during that time, but the active sort of movement is to try to kind of let those thoughts go. And now I'm thinking if I build in my vitamin regimen to as soon as I get done uh, meditating, perhaps I'll have a little more success with it. I don't know why I'm having easier time doing something. Maybe it's because it's short and protracted and I'm like, I just got to do it for 30 days and then I'll, you know, but, um, but I like it. It is actually something that I'm going to keep, 
keep continue to doing as opposed to dry January, which is over now. I'm going to note as well, <laughs> which goes under the, the, the topic of drinking. <laughs> right. Which I've come to refer as why January. But yeah. <laughs> um, So uh, Nate, that takes us back to you. Do you sit and sort of preconceive of your uh, art uh, and then look to realize it on canvas? Or do you just sort of put brush to canvas and, and see what is found? That's, yeah, that's a really good question. Sometimes, um, I, you know, I, I work in multiple areas, multiple mediums at the same time. Uh, so like I, my, my big uh, love, I would say, is like oil pastel work. Um, and so those pieces I do kind of dig into a little bit, uh, do some, I don't like create sketches or anything, but I definitely like visualize the piece before I make it. Um, some of the watercolors, uh, those, I, I can just roll with those. I've done those for a very long time. And so gotcha. okay. I've done so little, but watercolor sort of the, the bleed, the mistake is kind of part of the process. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're better at controlling it and not be like, oh, well, that just got away from me quickly. Well, but, uh, that's I'll, kind of why it's nice to work in that format. I'll pull up a piece, uh, that I think speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it is some of these that I've done recently. Um, and oh, so yeah. this is, uh, just to describe for people that might be listening, this is a you know very traditional landscape of the mountains, uh, layer on layer of mountains that are all kind of brown. Uh, the sky is just kind of a vibrant orange, uh, but the whole, there's, there are two white streaks across uh, the sky that kind of represent clouds, but that those streaks are, um, kind of what you're speaking to like it's it's really just that I made the paper wet so that when I applied the color it would kind of bleed down in that way um and yeah some people might call that a mistake it's a controlled mistake I guess um but yeah yeah for sure fantastic yeah that reminds me that the sky in that background reminds me of a costume I went to a costume party in college as Rothko's yellow and orange <laughs> which was kind of like the color of that sky. I was just completely painted. One part of my body was yellow and another part was orange. It was, uh, it was a fun costume. Um, yeah. So Nate, when did you start with, I mean, of course, probably, you know, as an educator, you know that you, you start the minute that you start holding things is kind of when you start, start doing art. But when did you know that visual art was going to be a, a path for you? Uh, yeah, that's funny. I, so I, uh, when I was young, I, I always loved drawing. I won a contest when I was, uh, 11 or 12, where the result was I won, uh, some art supplies and in the art supplies was a set of watercolors. And so that kind of set me on that path. Um, and what's funny is I really kind of pushed back against being serious about being a visual artist. Uh, I think my, I, I was too practical is what it was. I was so concerned about uh, having a stable, steady income. Right. That, you know, can I actually make a living making art that um, that's why I went the route of becoming a teacher. I felt uh -huh. like I could, I could teach anywhere I wanted to and, and then uh, find a way to make my art. Um, and so did you so, teach other things? So I was I didn't get. Did you teach things other than art first? So what, what was your first, uh, what were you, what did you start out teaching? I taught primarily fourth grade for, 
I think it was seven or eight years. When I was in college, I went to co I went to college for education. I didn't study arts like seriously in college. I took you know electives. Um, I had these professors who were like, "You should teach art. You're you're really good at. You should teach art." And I would always be like, "No, I don't want to do that." Um, I think part of it was that I felt like I could really benefit my students in a regular classroom setting and bring art all the things I like to do with art into that space. Um, but, but yeah, and then I, I kind of got burnt out on teaching and I thought, um, I'm going to make art full time. I'm going to give it a go. And I, uh, moved back to Asheville. I'd been living in Raleigh. Um, I got us, I had a studio in the river arts district for some years. I did the, the, we call them the tent shows, which is, you know, you're kind of traveling and setting up your wares. Sure. Or, yeah. Uh, people, people are coming, you're hoping you're selling your work. Um, and that was going well. Like my, uh, my wife had a full-time job and so she was our stable steady. Um, and I was doing all right. Um, and then we had a kid <laughs> and, uh, I got a little nervous again about, you know, being stable and being, um, so I was real fortunate. I was able to come back and kind of merge these two loves that I have, which is teaching and making art. And so, so yeah, so now I teach art and it's, what's great is I treat my classroom like a studio space. Uh, I have pieces that I work on up. My students can see those. Um, I, I talk frequently with my students about like, you know, you could sell this, like you could, you know, take this to another level beyond the classroom. Um, and, and I have, and I continue to sell my work um, you know, in a professional capacity. So I, th I think it benefits everything because I really am able to like dig into, um, you know, like even even something as simple as like how to price a painting. Right. Um, it's such a tricky thing and I can talk about it with my students, you know. Well, what what is that process like? Because I, you know, Tom and I also, we price things, uh, you know, whether it's tickets to our improv shows or Tom Tom also teaches classes, Tom is a, teaches improv. Or we I, do price babies. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so, you know, what is that process like for you? Is it, has it just been like trial and error or um, what, what, do, what do you do? Um, there, so there are, uh, when I first started, I talked, I, I talked a lot with other artists who'd kind of been doing it for a while that I would need at shows and, and in kind of studio spaces near me. Um, some have formulas, you know, there are some artists who calculated it and they, they will actually price their pieces, uh, by the square inch, believe mm. it or not, wow. um, which I, I think is relatively effective you do a lot of like looking in gallery spaces and just like learning like oh okay that's what they're pricing there and then you also have to understand that like most galleries take at least 40 percent if not 50 percent of what the artist makes from selling their work so that oh, wow okay that influences your you know pricing like if i'm able to sell my work directly to people i'm able to price it uh differently but sure. then you also run into like, if you get into a gallery, they don't want you to do that because that, you know, totally undercuts what they're right. trying to do, their business. Um, so, I, it, and the other thing is it's like a wave, you know, like um, when I was making art full time, had my studio, like I could ask more for my work um, because because I think I was taken a little more seriously, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, and then as I, you know, I don't, I no longer have a studio space. I, 
primarily sell my work on Instagram now. Oh, wow. Um, and what I've realized is like, I, I, I've dialed my pricing back. And part of that too is like, I, uh, the other kind of uh, understanding that I've come to is like, I want to make art that anybody can feel they can ex access, you know, or can have, uh, you know, like I have pieces that are, you know, very expensive. Um, but I also like that, like, I actually had a conversation with a woman on Instagram. She wanted to buy a piece. I told her what I was asking for it and I didn't hear back from her. And so I, I reached out to her and I was like, um, is the price too much? I said, I can, you know, work with you potentially in some way. And I said, you know, let me know what you think you can afford. And she responded, thankfully, because a lot of times you don't get any response. Uh, and she basically said, uh, I don't want to insult you. And so then I said, well, why don't you let me make a piece for you that's similar to the one that you like, but maybe smaller, and that'll be more affordable. And uh, I said, what's your budget? And she told me the budget. And then I was like, I'll just say the piece that, that you wanted for that price. <laughs> you know, it was like, um, but it was, you know, it's just that that's, that's actually a resolution that I've had for the last several years is I want to give more art away. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it really ties back to that, like, I want people to be able to afford, you know, these things that that it shouldn't only be wealthy people that can have these things in their in their homes. Understood. Very cool. I'm glad this came up because, yeah, look, looking uh, on the website and otherwise, yeah, a lot of your the majority of your paintings are very reasonably priced. But there was one um, a storm on the Pink Mountain that was like much priced much <laughs> higher. So I'm just curious if, if that is much bigger, uh, much better or just a lot more work involved? <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm laughing at the notion that this one's better, like so much better. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, um, this is a really big piece is what it is. So gotcha. uh, it's, it's uh, four feet by six feet. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that really drives the price on it. But even within this, um, if I had, like I said, if I, if I had my studio space and I was still like full-time artist and I was being represented in galleries, uh, I would probably ask like two, if not three times what I'm asking for this piece. Gotcha. Um, and that's not, um, that's not totally abnormal. In fact, you know, the more you, the more established you become, the more years you get under your belt, people don't people don't even blink at that. Right. Uh, like, so, I, and I don't mind to say, like, I think I'm asking, I don't remember what I have on my website, but I think I'm asking like $3,000 for this piece. Um, and uh, yeah, if it were in a gallery, like a, um, it, people wouldn't think twice if it was $10,000. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite uh, dip into that in terms of like, you know, just blind art consumerism, I uh, lived in New York uh, for a long time. And uh, in Midtown, would go to a lot of the galleries on my lunch break, and they go. And uh, William Wegman, the photographer who does, you know, the Weimaraner dogs, um, had an exhibit there. He just, it was very cool. And uh, this guy just kind of, you know, elevator opens up, he walks in, doesn't look at anything in particular, just kind of goes, How much for a Wegman? Um, which I was just thought is like the perfect, like, someone told me to buy this kind of thing. <laughs> really, money was no issue, and they're expensive kind of thing. Um, but yeah, how much for a Wegman? Well, and it's funny I hopefully you... people say one day, how much for a Barton? <laughs> <laughs> what's What's funny is that I've had a very similar experience with with my own work, and just that um, 
especially when I would do the outdoor shows, I would have generally at least one large piece that I would put, you know, kind of a higher price tag on. And I would get people that would come in and I would, you know, they would be really interested in it. I would talk them through all the things and, you know, really kind of polish it up for them right there. Uh, and my experience was those people generally weren't the ones that would buy it. It was almost always, it was somebody who would come in, they would look sometimes maybe a little more seriously. And then they would be like, I'd like to have that. Uh, you know, where it's just like, don't even think about it. I don't have to do anything. It's just, um, I often liken it to a fishing trip. Like so many uh, of those things, I think, you know, I'm, I'm throwing my lines out. <laughs> maybe I catch a big one. Uh, most of the time I'm catching little ones, which I, I'm happy uh, all the, with all the fish. <laughs> well, so, okay. So the, the part of my brain that went to business school is going, I, I get you. I hear that that maybe, you know, if you're not being represented in galleries and you're not doing it full time, that there's maybe some issue um, in terms of uh, of what you what people are looking at you as an artist. But but I think uh, when the law of supply and demand comes in, I got to think that teaching takes up so much of your time that you there, there it can't possibly be that you are putting as much work into the world as you would have been if you were just working full-time as an artist or or am I, or is there something that i'm missing are you able to somehow combine integrate <laughs> as we do with a plus uh integrate these two things together somehow um tell me a little bit about I would say so. It's really interesting when I when I uh, when I work full time out of my studio, um, I found that I could only like seriously make the art for maybe three or four hours a day. Okay. Uh, part of it was just because you know it's kind of an intense focus, um, and I, I, I this is just me personally. I just found that I could only kind of be in that zone for that amount of time. And so, you know, like I would break it up with, I'd go in and work for an hour, hour and a half, and then I would maybe go for a walk or, uh, uh, um, but, but yeah. And so with the transition to teaching, um, I found that I go in really early. Um, I'm fortunate that uh, my wife, you know, I've got two boys, she manages the boys in the morning. So basically I can leave very early um, and uh, I kind of knock out the planning that I have to do during the day and so like for teaching and so in the morning I'm able to just kind of have that uh, at least an hour every morning that I can like really kind of focus in on my personal uh, work um, and I think you're right there I'm probably not quite as productive uh, but I also think what's interesting is as I've, as I've made making art a regular practice in my life, which I, I think really has been the case for, for about 10 years now, as that has been a regular practice that I'm doing all the time, um, I've found that I make the work faster. Uh, if, I, if that, you know, I guess that would probably make sense, but um, like I'm able to make, make work yeah. Uh, more, I think, just because I've, I've honed it, you know, to where I know, like, how to do this and how to do that. For sure. Very cool. I am curious, you mentioned, you know, the idea of going for a walk. Do you uh, seek and or find inspiration for your art form from other mediums, music, uh, films? 
daytime uh, talk shows? You know, it's funny. Uh, yes, I think I do. I think I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, um, I find I'll put a show, a television show on in the background a lot of times when I'm making art. I did music some. Uh, if I've got a good podcast that's kind of on a roll that I haven't already listened to, like I'll, I'll do like a podcast series sometimes. Um, so I feel like those things are kind of, um, cause so much of art is so quiet, like making art is just such a like, um, and, um, so yeah, I would, I feel like it's funny because I, 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 um, I actually went to a high school for the arts and I studied theater at that school. And so I have yeah. like a strong connection, uh, root in theater and that work. And so I think there's so much good, um, content that's being created uh you know on the different like on netflix and those things that are just you know it's like a rich stories are being told and i i do think those things influence uh they they kind of free my mind in a way that i can kind of wander artistically if that if that makes sense awesome yeah. I, I will if i can you mentioned netflix and rich stories so yeah one of the things i guess i'm sort of thinking about uh, this week was uh, I saw this movie on Netflix called The Platform. I don't know if either of you have seen this. Uh, it's a Spanish film originally El Hoyo, which I mean means the whole, but uh, so good. But the basic concept is it's, it's a prison in which on the top level, level zero, they lay out this remarkable platform of food every day, just like you know, the richest banquet. Um, and then it kind of drops down to level one and those two prisoners have a certain amount of time to eat the food that is on the table. And then it continues to drop down, you know, uh, by the tens and hundreds of uh, levels um, so that whoever is down the bottom gets to eat whatever is left. Oh, wow. Uh, and so just, you know, I just find so many things that I've watched in quarantine time. I was like, this movie didn't need to be made. Like, I guess you can make this movie. I mean, sure. But this is a movie that I'm like, oh, my God, someone needs to speak to these ideas. Um, so a guy goes in on purpose to sort of a study. He's going to get a degree at the end if he survives his six months in. Um, uh, and he's there and trying to kind of encourage people. Hey, you know, if you only take as much as you need, there'll be uh, more left for the people below. But most of that, ah, screw you, man, just like shoveling the food because you are rotated on levels every 30 days. So you could be on level six this month, but you could be down in the hundreds um, and just getting the most nasty picked over plates next month. So you're sort of always guarding against the void you'll have sometime later. Uh, but it was just so interesting. And then um, again, uh, there's... Uh, <laughs> A woman comes involved and she's trying to encourage this where he's sort of threatening, hey, if you don't leave enough for the next guy, I'm going to crap all over your food. And she's like, great. Now they're doing it out of fear instead of doing it out of education, which I was trying to do, which is so interesting. So anyways, I highly recommend this movie as just, again, it's just something that you're like, man, how you just ever thought of this concept is a nice place to come from. But also just this idea of, gosh, if we just took what we need, everybody would have enough. It's a, it's probably a message that's not said enough. That that feels a little bit like a Kafka story. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. So, so interesting. Uh, it reminded me of, uh, so Snowpiercer is another movie that I really enjoyed um, on, on a different level, but you know, the, the train and the different cars and what they represent. So that is 
uh, yeah, just the idea itself, but also just like, please think of a story that, that carries something uh, rather than, I want to do my version of the, you know, my sort of <laughs> diss this week is the movie The Little Things with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto and uh, Rami Malek. And it's just a movie that you're like, I guess, <laughs> I guess we could spend millions of dollars on this movie that's just sort of murky and like sort of a little icky. And I guess we could make this movie or you could make movies that speak to social conditions and are, are also just gorgeously shot and all that stuff. So yay platform well i think about scarcity right and um it, which is a lot it sounds like the the premise of the platform and snowpiercer and things and 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 who gets what in a society in terms of material things and i am reminded of one of my favorite tom stoppard quotes from uh rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead where he says despite all our compasses there is only one one direction and time is its measure uh, and so I think one of the things that I, the, the thing that I think has been most profoundly uh, landed with me in COVID is about the scarcity of time. Uh, not only did I lose a grandparent during this time, but also just, you know, just, I, I have found that time has been a very sneaky concept for me. There are uh, things that I feel like uh, should take me a little bit of time, sometimes take a lot more time than I expected. <laughs> and then I have to think that in your regular nine to five job, Nate, that you have probably had a lot of experience of just how valuable time is. And with and particularly time on task with students, because I have to think that that has been uh, so I'm just wondering, I, I know we've got, I want to talk more about the art opening tomorrow too, but I do, I would like for you to talk about just like, cause what is your experience been teaching? What's a regular day like teaching during COVID times <laughs> and, and what, and what are the constraints on your time with your students? And what are you trying to achieve with your students during the very small amounts of time that you have? Just wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, that's man. It's such a it's such a weird. It's so tricky. Um, the majority of my teaching, we the schedule that our school adopted is a it's called an A day B day. I have uh, essentially three classes each day, and those classes are ninety minutes each. Um, the expectation right. is not that we, um, you know, we're not supposed to be teaching for all those 90 minutes. Right. Um, and for me, I think because I'm, you know, we're doing art, I'm a little more fortunate in that I can, um, you know, I, I like to give them time and space to work. If they were in my room, I would do the same thing. You know, like mm -hmm. I, that was a tricky thing for me as a, as a new art teacher was recognizing like, oh yeah, they've got to go and do this stuff. You know, like I can't, I can't just like move on to the next thing. Like they need the space and the time to kind of explore and, and make their own. Um, so I, you know, my, my classes are generally about 35, 40 minutes, but it's, what's really the weirdest thing is like, I've got, you know, just an example, a class of 28 students. Um, I'm thinking of eighth graders right now. Uh, you go into this zoom room setting, like we're in right now, um, maybe five of them have a screen where I can actually look and interact with them. Mm. Um, the rest are all just blank you know, blank screens. 
Um, I don't mute my students, although, you know, some teachers are very concerned about a student, you know, getting out of control or whatever. So I leave it unmuted, but very rarely can I get them to like delve into conversation. I can get them to type it in the chat. Um, it's, yeah, it's so tricky. It's so, tr you know, and part of that is because they're middle schoolers, you know, like they don't want people looking at their faces. Yeah. Uh, like I tried to, you know, point that out to teachers, like just picture that, that instead of being able to sit in the back of the room, now you're just like right there, you know, like where everybody can just stare at you for as long as they want. Like it's such a, um, yeah. I mean, that's it's not the, just middle schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Currently experiencing that at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, I recognize that in zoom, like I, I'll scroll through sometimes just like check people out what they're doing. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, it's, it's tricky. I think that, you know, the other thing that's been really, I, I did, um, we had a, our, just before we went to our winter break, I, I was like, I've got to get like real materials in their hands. I've got to, because I, you know, you can only do so many digital projects, so many drawing projects, because, you know, the tricky thing is getting material, like the actual things they need in their hands. I did clay just before we went to winter break. Um, and I had to like put together I have 160 students. So I had to put together 160 bags with a little chunk of clay yeah. and prepare like, um, you know, cause I, I can't send tools out. So I had to, you know, go through and figure like, uh, you've got a toothpick probably in your house. You've got some forks, maybe a knife, you know, like those are things that we'll work with. Um, and, but even that, like, uh, it's the logistics of it. And, and then the kids that like their parents can't come in and pick it up. And I mean, it's, it's just such a, and I think the other thing that, that uh, I talk with our teachers all the time is like, I, I want the kids to be in school. Like I want my class back. Like I miss that desperately. Uh, but it's such that it's that weight of like, you know, but like my 78 year old grandmother lives next door to me and I, I see her regularly and my, and my parents who are, uh, you know, not quite as old, but still in a, uh, you know, precarious situation potentially or next to her and so I mean we just uh, that balance of like safety and I, you know I'd tell people too like teachers are um they, they just the their hearts are so giving and they you know that uh, I think it's like it's really hard I think on teachers this situation that we're in right now because it's like we know that those students need us desperately right but weighing that against the potential of like somebody dying is, you know, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, it's hard. But I'll, I'll I, use your dip into darkness if I can then to just ask on the other side, scarcity of time. So you're not, you know, playing a uh, football or something like that where you only have like this seven year window, but you know, still you have uh, an artistic vision and the skills to be able to translate that in your medium. Um, you would think that that would be available to to you for most of your life, but you just don't know. So do you ever feel like whatever it is that I've been gifted the ability to do, should, I should go ahead and do that as much as I can while I still can, because who knows, you know, again, with everything this year, and I know a weird reference, I, in looking you up, I did find out that there is a Nate Barton character in the Marvel Universe who is lost in the snap of Thanos. Um, it's okay, <laughs> you're brought back by the Hulk in 2023. 
Um, <laughs> it's just an idea. Do, do, do you ever feel like even like days of like, eh, like I don't know if I'm always going to have these days to sort of just on a canvas and like, I don't even have an idea, but let's just go. I mean, do, do you ever feel like you don't know if this will always be available to you? I actually spoke with my students uh, just a week or two ago about that. And it was because we were looking at uh, David Hockney. I was yeah. sharing some of his work with them and uh, he's got a wonderful website. You can go back through his entire catalog of paintings and it goes all the way back to the 1950s. Uh, and, and then the work that he's making now, like he's still, his most current work has been a series of portraits. And I think he's up to like 78 portraits. They're all like three feet by four feet, like they're large scale pieces. And like that for me is so exciting. Just that notion that I could potentially continue to do this for another 40 years. And that, you know, and that I might, you know, be an old man who's like still cranking out art. Uh, I mean, I I also see the other side too, where I, like if I'm, I, I like to work with wood as well. And there are many times when I'm at a bandsaw or I'm at a table saw and I'm like, these things, my fingers, they are very precious. You know, like <laughs> if I was to lose something, like I can't, I, you know. Not uh, the fingers, right, yeah. <laughs> not the fingers. Um, but yeah, no, my hope is that I will be able to, like so many um, amazing artists, like you could tick them off, uh, the, the big names like Picasso and mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a long list of guys that like, they just continue to do it. And that's yeah. super exciting to me. So let's talk a little bit about, so I have to think that your experience as a teacher this year during COVID has prepared you somewhat for a Zoom gallery opening tomorrow, right? I mean, I'm sorry, on Friday at 4.30, uh, which is uh, Friday is February the 5th. Uh, if you're not hearing this on in 2021, then that's when, that's when it will be. Uh, so Nate, tell us a little bit about what people can expect if they log on and and how that experience is going to roll and um, who's providing the wine and cheese plate for everyone. <laughs> that's what, uh, yeah, that's funny. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, because I've done what I've been doing, which is interacting and working in this, you know, virtual environment, I really pitched it to, uh, to Lori and to Mary Lee over at Black Mountain Center for the Arts. I was like, I think we can do this. And we talked about how we might be able to do it um but yeah so the the intention is um i'm going like people who have signed up to participate in the virtual opening they will receive um a short video that i've produced that basically will walk them through the gallery um my intention when we open up the zoom is to also walk them through the gallery but i just you know sometimes with zooms people come in a little late and they may have missed something and um, so I just wanted to have it kind of available, like you can explore the whole show at your leisure uh, on this video and you can pause it if you want to look at this piece. Uh, and then so my hope really is to just be able to kind of open up for, um, you know, any somebody might say, like Tom said, you know, like that piece is a lot of money. Can you tell me why? Uh, <laughs> and, and I can take them over to it and I can, you know, talk about the size and uh, the amount of time that I spent on it. Uh, and then I also, I just hope also that um, 
like I'm super excited about the idea that I have friends in Florida and I have friends in New York and I think they're going to be at my gallery opening, you know? Yeah, um, that's awesome. Um, even our friends like across the state, like we have friends in Raleigh that, um, you know, like they'll be able to see it. Um, and, and, and like the, one of the things that, uh, that I've learned and I've been able to pass this on to my students in some capacity is just that, um, when you put your artwork out in the world and then you get response from it, you get feedback from it. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. Like, I'm sure you guys know it. Like you experienced that on the stage. Like, so, you know, um, and it's, I think it's the same when artists are able to be in a space with people who are looking at their work or who have seen their work and they can tell them directly, like, I love this, you know, like, and this is why, and I connect with this in this way. And, um, that, um, that's another thing that I'm really excited about, uh, cause we talked about doing an actual opening and they talked about like putting me out on the porch under a heater and like, uh, you know, limiting the numbers of people that were able to access and having like air purifiers and, um, and that just felt, you know, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like it would be what you want out of this kind of experience. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's something that people might take away in the future a little bit. You know, it's it's there's some in some level of this like, hey, you know, um, you know, I think about sick days for kids moving for, forward. You know, once teachers have you know mastered the this just the kind of like basics of Zoom. You know, there maybe there's it may not be that everything is perfectly there, but you know, you know, kids sometimes also are gone for extended amount of times for health or other reasons and. Uh, and so I just, you know, I think that the more comfortable people have gotten over this than uh, with the, the Zoom stuff, then the more. I, it's I also, I also think Josh, you and I went to uh, a, another a friend of ours, Shauna's performance sure. at Diana Wortham, and that really was kind of what prompted me to 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 try to do this. This virtually was, uh, you know, like there were. I think 10 of us in the audience essentially yeah but she had all these people in a zoom and they set up a projector so she could see their faces down below where she was performing and she had a laptop set up so that she could like read their comments and yeah. she was responding and i thought like how amazing that we we're able to be in a world same thing where like people are um you know across the country across the world potentially and she was able to say like i see you thank you so much for being here like yeah um really exciting yeah it, it totally is well nate i don't I, I don't want to take up too much of your time today i know that you've got to get back to things and but um we are so glad that you spent the time to uh to come and hang out with us today uh again the the gallery opening nate barton the creative well at black mountain center for the arts will open up on friday february the 5th the show is from 4 30 to 5 30 on zoom you can find that on the bmca website you're going to send us the link as well. We'll get it out on our Facebooks and things like that. And uh, just such a, such a pleasure to have you on Josh and Tom devour the world. Anything else from you, Tom? Well, I would just say uh, that Nate is also on Instagram. And I, I like that on Instagram, you are Etan Notrob, um, <laughs> which I think is a fun game that we should all go on Instagram with our reverse names. And I am now Mott Shremlock. Thank you so much. <laughs> 
um, I do want to say too that the um, the gallery will be open for the month of February, so you oh, can cool. you can also go and see the pieces in person uh, and if you. I assume you have to schedule that with the Black Mountain Center for the Arts folks, so that there's not too many coming in, or. Yeah, yeah I uh, my experience has been that they they do classes there, so they're kind of open. Um, I think if they had a large number of people that were up there, they might ask you to wait. But I think it's it's pretty they're pretty flexible or able to be flexible with it. Very good. Uh, well, we love the Black Mountain Center for the Arts as the Riesling Price Babies has been able to pay, perform there many, many times in our uh, history and I uh, love those folks over there. So we're excited for you and uh, best of luck with your opening and uh, and thanks for so much for being a part of, uh, of, of for devouring with us today. Thanks so much, Nate. Thank you, guys. This was great. Thanks, Nate. All right. Well, we are back. Tom, uh, we just got to listen to Nate tell us all about his artwork. Have you ever been a doodler or a drawer or anything like that? Uh, the one thing I did indulge for a little while was, yeah, someone got me a, a watercolor set uh -huh. for a, a present with, you know, the the canvas and the stand. And I, I did a few and there, there is one behind me. That's my nice. work. Um, so I did that, and that, that was the one thing I did enjoy because it is watercolor. So if it ends up being a little sloppy and inaccurate, which is often my artistic style, um, <laughs> it is part of the aesthetic. Um, so that I like. But no, otherwise, I, I, I'm not particularly good at that um, because, uh, yes, I, I have an unconfident hand. People who see me draw a circle are like, are you kidding? Just draw it. Don't like sketch, sketch a little bit, sketch a little bit. They're like, just draw a circle. Yeah. So I, I don't, but I've always been very impressed by that. I love the concept of contour drawing. You know, don't draw the bowl of fruit, draw the space around the bowl of fruit. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think that's yeah. a great way to, to view things. I just don't necessarily have that uh, skill uh, immediately available to me. And uh, so that, that often is enough to discourage me. Yeah, I'm not really a doodler or a drawer. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I kind of remember in fourth grade when one of my buddies, John Scott, was 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 doing some drawing, and he was like drawing some like uh, some like you know superhero type figures, and and they were just so much better than what I was able to draw. And I was like, I just I don't even know how to make my hands do the thing that is going on with your hand. And, and so like, just, I, I never really practiced with it uh, other than sort of like technical drawings. And I do, you know, you give me a ruler and some angles and things. And like, I'm able to kind of like knock out a, a sketch of something that I need to build, but not so much something that needs to be. Josh, you've always got plenty of angles. <laughs> Well, now it is time, Tom, uh, for Tom's weekly take, a tasty tidbit for you to take with you to go. And uh, and so we like to do this every week to give Tom a little chance to to tell us what he's been thinking about. And uh, and Tom, will you share your take with us today? I, I, I will. Uh, people may know that I also co-host a sports talk radio show and podcast called Steve Sack Syndrome. And I thought I would borrow a little bit of a policy from the world of sports and apply it to a larger problem as I see it. Um, a little while back, uh, the networks decided that when someone runs on the field at a, uh, at, at, at an arena or a stadium, 
um, that they will not show it. They will uh, they'll just cut away uh, and just kind of show that because they d don't want to you know reward the rogue fan with you know <laughs> extended media coverage uh, and kind of correctly uh, knowing that. Uh, this person will kind of realize it's not really worth it to get tackled and taken to jail if only some of the people in the stadium see it rather than everyone in every sports bar and every sports blooper, you know, like, of course, that's going to be worth it. So sure. I just thought that was sort of a good strategy. And I, I think we could use a little bit more of that in our current political coverage. Uh, okay. Last week, every show you turned on was discussing a freshman Republican congresswoman from Georgia. Uh, who is you know, known to espouse some conspiracy theories and has some history of social media posts that accuse certain Democrats of, you know, uh, 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 treason, which is punishable by death. And, you know, so fine, um, all these things. Now, I am not discounting these you know, things as irrelevant, but I just thought, you know, Rather than kind of mentioning her name over and over again, I heard her name more than Puxitani Phil on February 2nd. You know, it's just <laughs> everywhere. I just thought a little bit of the this coverage of like, you know what, maybe we don't need to cut to her kind of like, you know, running circles in center field or in her case, far right field. Um, and just so if if, if, a, if you know, if legal, if legal action is involved, if there is a direct threat or otherwise, then, yeah, address that. But, man, you have created a celebrity of someone you supposedly disdain. And now we know much more about this person than we did about the nice young woman who read the, the poem on, you know, on the inauguration day and everything. So I just, I yeah. just feel like sometimes, you know what? Maybe you can cut away and not have to always show the, can you believe they're doing that person? I can, I hear you on that one, Tom. And I, and I can also say that there's a little bit of, when I was teaching, right, there were always kids that wanted your attention, no matter what. They always wanted some attention. And um, some students would do the things that they were supposed to do to try to get your attention, politely raise the hand, for example. Uh, but all too often, your attention was grabbed uh, rather advertently and sometimes, you know, sometimes inadvertently, like somebody falls or there was an accident or something like that, but often rather advertently by a student who was trying to just, you know, just derail, derail things and, and uh, make things, uh, they just wanted attention. They didn't care whether it was good attention, bad attention, or what kind of attention, they just wanted attention. And I think that maybe our entire news cycle has gone a little bit too far towards letting, uh, you know, the, the old adage, there's no, no press is bad press <laughs> go, go rampant, you know, cause now it seems like they don't care as long as you're getting the name in the paper. That's all that matters. And what paper with no name on the blog or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, so that, that was my thing. And we could spend our time much better, like perhaps listening to Josh's song of the week. Okay, yeah, so Josh's Song of the Week. So this week, um, the phrase that we were given to work into our song was Magical Beast, um, which is... Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was something that did not immediately strike me until um, I think I said last week that we've been watching Twin Peaks or, or re-watching Twin Peaks in my house. And Twin Peaks has a number of characters who live in dimensions that might be considered magical or occult or something like that. 
And so that's kind of the direction that I took it. There's also a very specific style of music in Twin Peaks. Um, the composer Angelo Badalamenti made all of these very sort of like haunting songs with lots of reverb. And, um, and so I tried to, I don't, I don't have any of those instruments. <laughs> I don't have a microphone with me or uh, an electrical guitar to make those sounds, but I did try to emulate the style just a little bit. I am more of an imitator than a creator, but here we go. before you die Let's go out out in the field Dance and play out in the field I'll tell you where to hold <laughs> I'll tell you what you want to know Just take my hand all the wild feelings you don't yet understand. When you see me at the trailer park, wave as you roll by. Promise that you'll think of me just before you die. Meet me out. Out in the field, come and play with me. Out in the field, I'll teach you when to run. I'll show you where to hide. Show you how to turn on the magic beast inside. There it is. Josh's Fantastic. Song of the week. <laughs> and we now have our new tagline. We'll teach you how to turn on the magic beast inside. <laughs> Josh and Tom devour the world. Yes, yes. There's a lot of devouring in the song. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, so next week, Tom, we've got Aaron Price is going to be on with us of uh, Reasonably Priced Babies fame. 
Um, he is the, the musical director of Reasonably Priced Babies and also a fine musician of his own. He's got a new CD out. He's going to be telling us all about that music, and we hope you'll join us then. Uh, anything else, Tom, for the people? That should do it. All right. Well, uh, thank you for devouring with us today, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.